Welcome everybody. My name is Tim Rall, Family Advocacy Program Manager here at Army Community Service Redstone Arsenal. And I am super excited to be launching our new FAP initiatives through podcast format. We have an exciting lineup today and we are going to be talking about all things family enrichment with Maria McCall, our new parent support person, and Ms. Veronica Frierson, our domestic violence victim advocate. So we have a lot of great information that we're going to be talking about regarding parenting and new parenting issues and some of the services and support that Maria offers. But then we also want to tie in some domestic violence related issues since October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and how those kind of things can impact parents and families and children. So we have a whole host of information that we're going to share with you today, and we're really looking forward to it. We hope that you will gain a lot of insight as to how to better parent children and what services you can access to help us help you improve your family experience here at Redstone Arsenal and wherever you may be listening to this podcast. So uh, we are going to go ahead and get started. And I want to first start off with our first guest, Miss Maria McCall, new parent support person. Good afternoon. How are you, Maria? I'm well. I am Maria McCall. I am a licensed independent clinical social worker, and I have been practicing social work for about a decade. And I've worked with many families, children, and individuals in various different situations and circumstances. And today I am talking to you about New Parent Support Program. I am the home visitor for the program and have been here for over a year and have been working with families and children, birth to uh, three years of age, and also work with individuals who are pregnant. This program is a volunteer basis program, and anyone who is active duty and interested in the program can definitely reach out to ACS to become a participant of the program. Myself would come out to the home and tell you more about the services, which I'm going to do today, but when you do get referred to the program or you refer yourself, you'll learn more about, you know, what to expect and inform me of the services that you think you would want to, you know, have me help you out with. Awesome. Well, thank you, Uh, Maria. So I I really want to talk first and foremost about the play morning groups, because I know that when COVID hit, we had to shut that down. Um, due to safety. Tell us a little bit about the play morning groups, where it is, when you hold it, and what is the goal of, of the play morning groups? So Child Wise is the name of the play morning group that we have that is offered twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9.30 in the morning to 11.30 in the morning. And it's open to anyone who has access to the base. It's designed for children who are birth to five years of age. And we have an indoor play space as well as an outdoor play space. And it's designed for parents and children to come and be interactive with each other, learn new skills. We do arts and crafts projects there, field trips to come in the future, develop motor skills, and just socialization, especially with COVID being here, the socialization point has been kind of minor, especially for the quote-unquote COVID kids today. So they're learning new skills that they haven't been able to learn at home with their siblings, interacting with other kids their age and younger or 
or older, depending on the age of the individuals who are coming. And my goal for the group is to grow and expand and to be able to network with each other and use each other's skills and assist each other when needed. So the play morning groups, it's an interesting concept and I I really love it because it's not a daycare center, right? Where parents just drop off their kids and they go off and do their thing and come back later. Mm -hmm. They stay with the the play mornings and they have some benefits as well. Can you talk a little bit about the the benefits that we see parents getting from engaging in play morning groups? Well, well. one, they're having that adult conversation that they're not usually having at home. Usually the individuals who are coming to the play groups are stay-at-home moms or even grandparents who have very little access to other individuals who have kids at the same age. And this gives them time for them to have their kids play with other toys that's not in their home and also encourage, you know, peer relationships and boundaries with themselves and then also their new friends that they're making at the building. Yeah, and I imagine this kind of service helps kids prepare for when they go off to school, right? So it won't be such a traumatizing event. It'd be kind of old hat to them at that point because they're already used to going in, into different places and engaging with other children that they don't really know and get to know. Yes. So I guess that's part of the benefit and of the development for, for these children, right? Yeah, so they get to learn me as the instructor or the teacher that some of the parents and kids call me and you know they learn to transition to different activities usually now I'm starting to do an arts and craft activity first when we enter the building and then transition to snack time and then having open play either indoors or outdoors depending on the weather Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you're kind of offering that program. I think it's a, a great benefit to the program. Prior to COVID, it was heavily utilized. And, and I know we're, we're working overtime to try to get the word out and let people know it's there because of the values and benefits it brings to our community and the networking that, that occurs. You know, we, we are a unique installation, right? Redstone yes. is very unique in it that is. we don't have, you know, spouse groups and, and things of that nature where, you know, when, when military spouses maybe come on on the installation and they try to connect and network with folks. This can be a a great way to do that, right? Yes, it definitely is. And the program, which I should have mentioned earlier, is located on 3467 Vincent Park. And it's kind of hard to kind of locate or see, but it's the building that has the crayon columns. So that's kind of what makes it unique is that it stands out because it does have the crayons there. So you know that it's a place for kids to come and play. But yes, the parents are definitely uniting with each other and I do currently have four families that come on a regular basis and they're getting to you know know each other and communicate with each other sometimes they'll text each other outside of the group so it's what we want so they can you know grow their support system and kind of get to know each other outside Absolutely. the building it's all it's awesome because you know we know these military families they're you know dispersed they're disconnected with yes with family from back home and so we know those networks and supports are extremely important and to a unique population that we serve. Tell us a little more about some of the other new parent type issues and things that you offer. You mentioned in-home services and support. What does that look like? What are some of the things that that we do for families when, when they avail themselves of that service? 
It's a voluntary service, correct? Yes, it definitely yeah. is. It's a voluntary service, so you're not required to do it. But most likely, if you are interested in services, it's because you want to grow and develop skills. And as a new parent, there's always so many things that there is to learn and to do. You have so many things to actually do as a parent. And so with my program, I strive to help you thrive in the areas in which you want to excel in. And, you know, my mission is to help your family become strong and have healthy bonds with attachment and nurturing your kids. And that sometimes can be a challenge depending on temperament of child or, you know, if baby has colic and is crying a lot. Sometimes it could be difficult to bond uh, for new moms. And so they may not have that connection, even though the stereotype is that usually moms have it easy with connecting to babies, but that's not always the case. Sometimes moms have baby blues or even postpartum depression. So that's where I can come in and kind of assist and make referrals and walk you kind of through that process and reminding you that it's a temporary moment and that it won't last forever. And like I mentioned before, parenting is definitely hard. So kind of working with you to come up with schedules and routines. Everyone really thrives best on routines and that includes children and young kids. So working to make schedules and figure out kind of what works best for you. And discipline, I know that it's a hard topic for individuals. I know sometimes we've grown up in families in which we didn't like the discipline. So coming to me can help you kind of change your mindset on which type of discipline you want to implement with your children. So there's lots of things that I can offer and try to, you know, support with. It's kind of endless when it comes to parenting and the things that you have to cover. I I remember when I was a new parent, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, One of the, one of the things I was most challenged with is how to, how to adjust that flipping car seat in the car, right? Like how do I get that car seat in the car correctly? Right. And to where it's safe, the baby's safe, you know, can you offer those types of services as well? You know, those kind of practical things. That I can do my very can. best, but if I can't do it, then I would definitely find someone that can assist and do it correctly. Usually the hospitals help with that and other individuals that I can find to assist with that. But yeah, that is definitely right. a hard challenge and knowing when to flip baby to from rear facing to forward facing, when to transition to the different car seats. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> you know, the, the two of the topics that I really feel like that are important important these days are one is the period of purple crying yes and shaken baby syndrome mm-hmm. we know that can you know really have devastating effects on, on children and families so I, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that and I also wanted to talk a little bit about safe sleeping right because there's a lot of philosophies and concepts and how mama used to do it how grandmama yeah. used to do it right and so we grow up with these ideas that you know it's okay and and that kind of thing and so I'd like to talk about some of those risks factors as well. Let's start with purple crying and shaken baby syndrome. Talk to us a little bit about that in that that period of time where, you know, children are, they're growing, they're developing, they may be colicky. um, And for an untrained parent, not knowing how to deal with that stress level, it can really
really be devastating unless we get in there and we teach parents about those types of things. Talk a little bit about purple crying for a minute, if you could, for us. Yeah, so purple crying is a time period. Usually it can start anywhere as early as four weeks and go, I think, all the way up to possibly, I think, 20 weeks of age. That's a long period of time for which you may have an inconsolable child and periods of crying could last up to eight to 10 hours. So that's a very, 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 very long time to have an infant cry and you not be able to soothe and comfort them. And so that can be very distressful for both the parent and the child. And then unfortunately, after all the stress of and just wanting the baby to be quiet, sometimes parents or even those who are caring for the baby who may not know that this child is going through that period of time may unfortunately shake baby and then cause some serious injuries referring to shaken baby syndrome but when purple crying is taking place or does take place there are very many things that you can attempt to do in order to try to soothe baby but if you're getting frustrated during that period of time it's okay to place baby in a safe you know space whether it be the crib or pack and play and take a moment to walk away and catch your breath and regain your composure because it is a frustrating period and baby can sense that you're frustrated as well and then coming back to try various methods of trying to soothe baby, whether that's changing diaper, playing music, shushing baby, doing a swaddle. There's lots of ways to try to attempt to calm baby, but sometimes those methods may just not work and baby just may have to cry for a long period of time because they're in that that stage of life. Yeah. Those are really good tips and, and good information to have to know what to do in those situations, whether it be walk away or techniques on how to soothe baby. Those are great tidbits. I really appreciate you sharing those. Tell us a little bit about safe sleep, because I know, like I said, sometimes this can be a cultural thing. I noticed I'm from the North, but I noticed in the South that typically babies sleep in the bed with parents. A lot of times when they're newborns go sleeping Mm -hmm. and Again, sometimes it could be a regional or a cultural thing that that's going on where it's normalized because that's what mama grandmama does. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so there are a lot of methods out there for sleeping, um, but for us here at New Parent Support, we strongly follow that baby is sleeping alone and on their back and in a crib, and also that's known as the ABC method, um, and that's to prevent the cause or potential of SIDS, and SIDS is more likely to occur in children birth to six months of age, so having children be alone and on on their back and in the crib is the most proven way to reduce the likelihood of SIDS occurring. That's a great uh, way to remember it to ABC, right? Yes. Alone, back, crib. Correct. So those are the three key mm-hmm. emphasis that, that we place on safe sleeping. So I want to shift the conversation real quickly to impacts of domestic violence. And because we are observing October's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we do have with us our victim advocate. Jeronica Frierson. Welcome to the conversation, Jeronica. Thank you. So we we want to talk a little bit about, you know, it may not be that it's a violent situation, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe there's just a lot of turmoil and discourse Mm -hmm. in the home. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of fussing back and forth. Is that good for children? I mean, is is there is there risks involved with that as well? Absolutely. When we talk about domestic violence, right? Let's look at 
the spectrum and in terms of like healthy relationships and that spectrum that from healthy to unhealthy, right? In terms of, we want to cover it cover it all because sometimes it doesn't rise to be considered what people understand domestic violence to be but the tension that can be in a home when there's breakdown between parents or you know poor communication or you're having difficulties expressing yourself how kids they take that in even like the littlest of babies right they take that in but we do know research supports that there are definitely adverse effects for children that are raised in a home where domestic violence occurs. And so when we talk about domestic violence, it's really important that we look at the totality. So it's not just the physical abuse, but we're talking psychological abuse. We're talking emotional and verbal abuse. And we're even talking financial abuse, right? Where resources are withheld from the parent and inevitably the children suffer. And and isolation as well, right? Like isolation. If a lot of times if the person's trying to abuse and control, Mm -hmm. then they isolate them from family, from going out and getting jobs and being independent. Yes. You know, if they needed to be. And that's that's a large aspect too of it, right? Right. With with the finances and all. Right. So a lot of people there's domestic violence out there and I think a lot of people mistakenly think that they just reduce it to, you know, having a black eye or fat lip and that typical battered woman kind of look that the poster child for it but but it's it's much more broad than that absolutely absolutely so i think you know when you're you're thinking about some things i always go back to what do you have the freedom to do right do you have the freedom of choice do you have the freedom of expression do you feel emotionally safe when thinking about your household if you have an opinion is that opinion valued is it minimized do you avoid certain topics or conversations even do you rear your children are you raising your children in a way to minimize the potential for mom or dad to have an outburst Mm -hmm. those are things that you know we have to take into effect it doesn't look like what we've been made to believe, right? That domestic violence or intimate partner violence is simply physical or if it's not physical, it's not as dangerous or that is not as hurtful. And it, it absolutely, it absolutely is. Yeah. And, and, and I think staying on topic with, with how it impacts children, right? Mm-hmm. So like we consider this broad spectrum of what domestic violence truly is mm-hmm. and children are watching, right? right. There's, there's a social learning theory out there yes. that social workers are very familiar with mm-hmm. where we know that if they see mom and dad interacting in a certain way, Yes. It's very likely that they can grow up and they can perpetuate that cycle of family violence with their relationships. Right. And so all of the greatest impacts problems with school. Right. Being able to focus in school, interacting with Mm -hmm. with peers and siblings. You may see health issues. Right. So what may look like exacerbation of asthma could be anxiety. Mm -hmm. You may see sleep issues. Mm -hmm. We are carry stress in the gut. So same thing applies to to children. Something that I've heard as an advocate is that the the person that's being impacted, pri- the primary, the, the target, the victim, 
a lot of times which are really, really hard to protect their children. They're trying to protect them from the physical aspect of it, but not realizing that the impact is still very present, even if they just hear it. It's, it doesn't mean they don't have to just see it, right? But even if they hear it and they feel it, they still have the potential, like they're, they're still paying consequences. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have parents who, you know, for instance, may not feel empowered to protect themselves, but will will try to protect their children. But then we've also seen, unfortunately, cases where no one was being protected. Right. right? Yeah. And so, you know, we were talking earlier, too, about love languages. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we just did a couple's love language class earlier today. And but there's all sorts of love languages that it's kind of spurred into. And one of the areas is speaking the children's love language. Right. Yeah. Yes. And and how important that is and, and helping them feel valued and loved. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the family advocacy program, especially the side that we work on, is the fact that we are actively engaged in preventive type measures to where we're not responding to family violence. Right. We right. are actively engaged and out mm-hmm. out in front of the problem. Yes. And by preventing providing prevention efforts that are completely accessible to the community. Can you guys talk about any classes that you have coming up or things that you're you're wanting to do in the future with, with regards to prevention efforts? I know we've got April is Child Abuse Awareness Month. And yes. so we're, we'll be, you know, rolling out our campaign there. What are some things, um, Maria, that are training activities and things that you have on the books or want to have on the books in the future? I know I'll be working with a co-worker through ACS and bringing information about finances and the impact for children. Mm -hmm. So we'll be doing that eventually within the next quarter. I was going to work on doing a presentation about domestic violence this month, actually, regarding the impact on children and how parents can, you know, seek out assistance and support through our services and when to seek out and getting help. And that's all I have so far. Okay. And I know I've, I'm, I'm actually in in the works. I, I've provided uh, the screen free parenting yes. curriculum, which is an evidence based curriculum, and and we try to stick to the evidence based curriculum that we know works, do through research and evidence based practice. And what I love about the screen free parenting, and I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it or not, mm-hmm. or how familiar you are, but they really they talk about the emotional reactivity of a parent, right, and how important it is for us to be aware of our emotional reactivities during parenting type situations and issues and how that can impact our relationship with our child absolutely, and and the outcomes that we see with with children, right? Absolutely. Talk about that for a little bit. Well, it makes sense that you use that concept because oftentimes in school, they're teaching that to the kids and how to react to their peers when they get upset, not to hit, you know, keep your hands to yourself, you know, try to be nice, all those things. So I'm quite sure that Scream Free is, you know, trying to present the same message for parents to do to their children so that when they get older, they know how to, you know, interact appropriately with others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love this scream free title. It just, it's, it's so catchy too. It just draws my attention when I hear it. And when, when you, when you read the book and you explore what the author's talking about, screaming is Mm -hmm. also a very broad topic, right? Yes. Like withdrawing conversation from a child is a form of screaming according to the author, right? It is. Um, And withdrawing love is 
opposed to, you know, screaming, literal screaming. And so we know there's a lot of different ways that parents can scream at their children. And and it's it's really neat when we look at that because there's, you know, parents, parents, we we're trying to figure it out. Right. And we we, you know, have our experiences and how we were raised and Mm -hmm. some good, some maybe not so good. Right. But we resort to those sometimes, especially in stressful situations. We go to them and as a go to naturally and it it may be good. It may not be good. So there used to be a my pediatrician had a sign on her in all her rooms that said children live what they learn. Yeah. Right. And and so, you know, when you think about it in that context, that am I there's there's a saying I I want my children to have an experience that they don't have to recover from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about maybe what you experienced, some good, some bad. And I think when we talk about things in the context of relationships, no expectation for perfection. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, so this idea that, you know, being the perfect parent is is a thing or a necessity. It's not even attainable. It's not, it's not, not, it's not not even attainable, (laughs) but it's, it's the effort that you put into it. So when you just mentioned, um, screaming is, is like even withdrawing, right? Taking Mm -hmm. the child's uh, voice away. So you guys don't get mad at, at us, but for instance, how many times have we heard, you know, do as I say, Mm -hmm. not as I do, right? Mm -hmm. Or because I said so, Right. right? And so, and I'm, you know, be the first to admit I was raised on, you know, because I said so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but understanding, you know, when dealing with my my nephews and my nieces, the need for choice and mm-hmm. it's and it's room for that to have respectful, healthy conversations, boundaries, to be able to to say you like something or you don't like something and, and have conversations around so what can we what can we do? How do we respond and not react Mm -hmm. you know how do we take accountability for what we do and what we say and not project that and that's you know even with the within the context of why we have to be mindful of the home environment is they're looking Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So if They're you solve things by screaming or slamming doors or, mm-hmm. you know, silent treatment, silent, <laughs> oh, that's the big, like the silent treatment. Right. They pick that up. Yeah. You know, and so but it's never too late to be better. Right. Well, and one of the things I really love about that piece of work is that they talk about parents tend to want to control their children. Yeah. Right. They want to control every aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they rob them of the opportunity of experiencing failure and and being this helicopter type parent, mm-hmm. which is well-intended. I think parents are well-intended when they're mm-hmm. helicopter parenting, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they want to protect their children. And yeah. to a certain degree, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Yeah. Correct. But there's a fine line, right? And a mm-hmm. balance between overprotecting mm-hmm. and and allowing children to experience some level of failure or mm-hmm. challenge yes. so that they can learn those skills and Absolutely. grow and develop through them. Absolutely. And if we rob them of that, then mm-hmm. they'll be ill-prepared when they get into adulthood, right? Yeah. That's yeah. correct. We um, also have to look at, you know, was mom or dad ill-prepared, right? So mm-hmm. how was failure looked at in your home? Was yes. there value to it? I was looking at, I love Sarah 
Blakely, the founder of Spanx, and she was saying how her dad expected them to have like a fail that they talked about on a weekly basis, That's oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Nice. And I, at first I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, right? But then let's think about it. How many of us have condition, been conditioned to believe that we should be ashamed of failure? Yeah, right. Failure is not an option. Right? Like failure yeah. is not an option. It is whether we want to admit right. it or exactly. not. <laughs> but also that shame piece yeah. that comes that comes with it. Right. So yeah. being able to embrace yourself when you fail, right, and making some decisions on how to pivot from it, but also helping your children be okay Absolutely. with failure. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, it's a natural part of life, right? I agree, yeah. And, and they're going to experience it sooner or later anyway. Mm-hmm. So yes. might as well do it within the context of parenting yeah. and, and child raising and rearing. Mm-hmm. And and it's the safety within those confines that you're not going to obviously let the child experience failure to the point of, you know, Mm -hmm. harm. But it's it's within those parameters, right, that they experience those things and and allow them to learn how to work through that stuff. I think those are critical, important, critically important skills that. Um, sometimes the children we work with, right, and that we yes. come in contact with and the families we work with, mm-hmm. we find that there's some some lack in those areas. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. And that's why I love Maria's program because I think we don't realize sometimes maybe as family and friends the pressure that we put on oh, each other. And so, you you know, for instance, you, you brought up the baby blues mm-hmm. and how many women and men alike have suffered through postpartum depression with yeah. the women experiencing it and then maybe their partners not knowing how to support them through yes. it mm-hmm. and you know having finding it very difficult to have someone to support them through that because you know, you're there's this message like, well, you're a mom now and, you know, you just you you never sleep another peaceful night until, right. you know, ever. Right. Or, you know, sleep. What's that? Sleep. Right? What's that? Or, you know, not really having that space to be vulnerable. So yeah. I think that's one of the greatest things about the new parent support program is that you have someone who you can be vulnerable with and who is, you know, that you're not judging. It's a yeah, you know, no. very mm-hmm. non-judgmental tone mm-hmm. and there's not this expectation, you know, that they have to have to fulfill. Whereas friends and family, you know, love them, mean it, but sometimes they... They they pack on the the pressure. Yeah, you know? those expectations and, are hard. Right, like yeah. you know, girl, you got to get this house clean, or yeah. you know, whatnot. And it's it's just like, listen, if if it's not dangerous, if everybody, <laughs> right, if, if we don't have any safety exactly. issues, Absolutely. I lived in yes. home as a, a fun, happy yeah. home. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I, <laughs> I, I've experienced what you're talking about raising my own daughter. Right, so like. She's an athlete. She's a freshman at Auburn now with the softball program. But growing up, like, I found that when I tried to coach her into certain things related to softball, it was in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. But we would take her to a coach or a, a person yes. that's independent <laughs> of the family, right? They would say the same exact thing, and it'd be like a light going yes. off, right? And I think that's what Jeronica's yeah. talking about with your program, Maria, is that yes. you come in as an independent person. Yes. You're not judge, judging these people, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you know, you truly are, you know, you, you're working a program in 
and you're doing things for the right reasons and you do it with an approach that comes off as very supportive and caring and considerate of of their needs and what's going on. And I have my own family that, you know, I'm raising and I've had my own, you know, history as we all do with things. So, you know, I lend some of those, you know, experiences and things in my practices with individuals and families so that they can feel like what they're going through is normal because oftentimes when you're going through something that you know is not talked about in the paper or the radio or wherever on the internet then you you don't think that you know you're normal and that it's okay and a lot of things that parents experience is normal and okay and stressful and you know sometimes annoying and frustrating and it's okay to have many 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 spectrums of feelings regarding parenting and that's where I come in to kind of help and flush things out yeah and and helping normalize you know challenges in life because we're all going through it you know you look on Facebook and everybody's supposed to the happy happy joys of life right (laughs) you don't see the dirty diapers being flung across the room and you know all that kind of stuff you you see the nice you know cute picture with the bow and the hair and you know playing on the playground type stuff you don't see the side where is Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people are going through some stuff right and it's challenging so well well, thank you all for uh, discussion today Uh, we really appreciate the work that you do and I'm really excited to be a part of the family advocacy program here at Redstone Arsenal I think we have one of the best family advocacy programs in the country in the army but that's just my opinion (laughs) we stand on that (laughs) (laughs) well thank you all so much this is Tim Rolf family advocacy program manager signing off and we hope you go forth and prosper with your families and your parenting skills please give us a call at Army Community Service, 256-842-8706. That's my number, my office number. And we will be glad to uh, get some additional information in your hands regarding the Family Advocacy Program and all the wonderful resources that we have available for military families. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon.